All right, we are reading this morning from Numbers chapter 22, verse 1. When God says no, then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And so Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt They cover the face of the land. They've settled next to me. Now come, put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know, Balaam, that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I'll report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. And so the Moabite officials stayed with him, and Balaam goes off and consults Jehovah. God came back to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? God, talking to Balaam. Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, go. Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. And so the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam has refused to come with us. I want to show you a little slide show this morning before we get started. Uh, This first slide is a picture of Annabelle. Annabelle is my grandbaby dog. She belongs to Ethan and Liz. Uh, And uh, Ethan, my son, and and my daughter-in-law, Annabelle, is one year old. And she's a pretty good girl most of the time. She's very smart, but she's a dog, and she likes to do things that dogs like to do. Here's our compost pile. You notice that our compost pile is covered now. No, Annabelle, you can't go there. Here's a shot of our garden. Our vegetable garden, new topsoil, new compost. Notice the fence around the garden. No, Annabelle, you can't go into the garden. Here's a shot of our gate in the backyard. Notice that the gate is locked. Here's a shot of Annabelle. No, Annabelle, you can't go outside that gate because you won't come back. Annabelle, you see, she hears the word no a lot from us these days. She's a baby. She's just learning what we don't want her to do. Now, sometimes she doesn't listen. And so we have to use the command, bah, and she'll listen quicker. You know, she's getting the, she figures, but if she gets real stubborn on a bad day, we have to take this little chain thingy and we throw it down, bah, and then we don't hit her with it. You just throw it at her feet and we say, bah, and then that really gets her attention. She's learning. Okay, and 
it gets her attention and she's learning, but sometimes she still doesn't take no for an answer. Why? Well, because she's a baby. She's just learning how to do it and she gets headstrong. This narrative in the book of Numbers is really amazing. It's a story about God saying no to two men, Balaam and Balak. Balaam lived in what is now southern Iraq, near the Euphrates River. He was a soothsayer. He practiced divination. And evidently, he was very well known for his skills. Balaam was not a Jew. He was a pagan, part of a pagan uh, culture. They did not fear the God of the Jews. They had no respect for him. And this was at the same time that the children of Israel were wandering through the desert of Sinai. And they had been, hadn't been around for 400 years. They'd been gone completely out of the picture, down in Egypt, slaves in Egypt. And then God miraculously delivers them out of Egypt through a series of miracles. The plagues that came on Pharaoh and his household, we've heard about the plagues. He parts the Red Sea, they walk through the Red Sea and get into the, uh, onto the other side and it's a miracle. And then they're out in the desert wilderness and God is feeding them every day with something called manna, which is a bread from heaven and it appears on the ground. They go up and gather it and they have enough food for themselves every day. And word started spreading around the Middle East about the miracles that these people were experiencing. And fear spread through the Middle East because they, the people were discovering, you do not mess with these people. You don't mess with them because the God that they serve is bigger than our gods and he's doing things that we can't even conceive of. He's more powerful than our gods. Well, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they were disobedient. And at the end of that time, finally, they arrive here in this area just on the other side of the Jordan River. And Jordan River runs north and south. So they're on the east side of the river in Moab and Ammon and Midian. And these are tribal areas. And it was time, God's time for them to come through into Canaan, the promised land. And so they conquered the Midianites, they conquered the Ammonites, and here they are on the outskirts of Moab. They're traveling nomads. Israel, a nation, get this, three million people traveling through the desert like this horde of locusts. Some people estimate that there were as many as six million of them coming through. Very intimidating. God was with them. And it was no contest. They were making their way through Ammon. They were making their way through Midian. Very little resistance, even though they were throwing their armies at the, at the Israelites. They, they were having no success whatsoever. And word had spread, as I said. And the king of the Moabites, Balak, had grown afraid from the stories he was hearing about what had happened to Midian and Ammon. And now here they were on his doorstep. And what is he going to do? So he sends for this famous soothsayer, Balaam. And he says this to Balaam, a people has come out of Egypt, they cover the face of the land, they've settled next to me, come, put a curse on them because they are too powerful for me, perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out, for I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. And he sends all this money, so it's money, 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 flattery, 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 come Balaam, come and help me out here. But God sees what's going on and he gets to Balaam first before he heads out the door. And God says to Balaam, no, Balaam, no. Do not go with them. 
you must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. And so Balaam returned to Balak's messengers, no dice, go home, get out of here. The God of these people told me not to do it, I'm not going to do it. And they relay the bad news to Balak, and Balak's not going to take no for an answer. And so he sends higher ranking officials and more money to entice Balaam to come to Moab so that he can put a curse on the children of Israel so that they don't run through his country. So God shows up a second time that night to Balaam. And says to Balaam, uh, well, okay, okay, I can see that Balak is not going to be denied, so you go ahead and you go with these, you, you can go ahead and go with these guys. Okay, so here is where an amazing story turns into something extraordinary. Balaam heads out the door with this little entourage back to Balak, the king of the Moabites. Balaam is riding on his donkey. They're going along the road, and all of a sudden, right out in front uh, on the road, the, the donkey just stops. Balaam's donkey will not go forward. And he's kicking it, and he's beating the thing. And all it does is just go off the road into this field. He's not going ahead. You know why? The Bible tells us that there was an angel of God that appeared in the middle of the road and he has his sword drawn and the donkey sees the angel, but the guys don't see the angel and the, and the donkey's like, I am not going forward and he goes off the road. Well, he's beating the poor animal. He doesn't see the, he doesn't see the donkey, um, uh, the, the angel. So they get back up on the road, the angel disappears, they go on down the road. They come to a vineyard, the road goes right through the middle of the vineyard. So the owner of the vineyard has piled up these mud, this mud brick wall on either side of the road to keep travelers out of his vineyard. They're getting down, they're about halfway through the vineyard, nowhere else to go, nowhere to turn, mud brick wall, both sides of the road. What happens? The angel shows up again. The donkey sees the angel. The angel's sword is drawn. The donkey's not going any further. The guys still don't see the angel. What's the donkey going to do? Well, Balaam's on the donkey. He just edges over to the side of the mud brick wall, and he crushes Balaam's foot against the mud brick wall. And he's just, fear he's, you stupid, you, you know? The angel disappears. The, then the donkey goes ahead. They get further down the road past the vineyard. The angel reappears a third time. This time the donkey's had enough. He sees the angel the third time, the sword drawn. He just lies down in the road. I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what you do. He's beating this donkey. He's wailing on this donkey. And here's what happens next. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times. This is not a cartoon. This is a donkey talking to Balaam. And you know, I don't know what's extraordinary. Balaam talks back to the donkey. Oh, you, you donkey, you've made a fool of me. Here he is, the great soothsayer of the Middle East, and he can't even get his donkey to go forward. You made a fool out of me. If only I'd had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now where you sit, you stupid donkey. And the donkey says to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? 
No, said Balaam. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low, smart guy, and he fell face down in front of the angel. And the angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me. He turned away from me three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you, Balaam, by now. But I would have spared your donkey. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned. Yeah, no kidding. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. Well, he let him go on. The angel of the Lord said, no, go on to Moab. He gets to Moab. Now, you have to remember, he's been enticed twice by the king. Balak. What happens when he gets to Moab? Balak sends him out seven more times to curse the children of Israel. And each time he goes to the edge of the camp of the, of the Israelites and he's getting ready to pronounce a curse on the children of, the, uh, children of Israel. And what happens? God places in Balaam's mouth words of praise and blessing on the children of Israel, not curses. And it doesn't matter how hard he tries, he cannot curse these people. After seven times, he's done, and the children of Israel remain unharmed. You know, it's important for us to understand that when God says no, he means it. And he always has a reason. God said no to Adam one time concerning eating the fruit off of one of the trees in the Garden of Eden. And, and Adam chose to say no, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. And you and I are paying for that today. One man's choice, many consequences. Balaam, his culture, his beliefs, his worship, his greed, his arrogance, his uncontrollable temper. Everything about Balaam screams at us, what are the results of Adam's one choice to say no? And the whole culture back then, they hated the people of Israel. Egypt, Midian, Ammon, they're all out to destroy the Israelites. Balaam's willing to curse them. You see, it was all evil all of the time. And yet, into this darkness, God had a people. And he had a purpose. And he calls for this people, this traveling city of three million people, to go through Moab and into the land of promise where they would settle and they would begin to colonize and they would become the future kingdom of God. And nothing stopped them, ultimately, nothing really did stop them. Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, Canaan, and there they settled in Balak was of no consequence to them whatsoever. No, Annabelle, no, Annabelle, don't eat that. Don't dig there in my yard. Don't go out of our yard. No, Balaam, no. These are my chosen people. Don't you dare curse them. I mean it. You're going to hear no from God from time to time, guys. It's going to happen. It's, it's going to be something like, no, you cannot do that, or no, it's not time. 
Something like that. And when you hear no from God, let me ask you this morning, how do you react? Do you stop and think and consider? Or do you, or do you get angry? Do you begin to plan on how to twist God's arm so you can get him to do what you want to do? Change his mind? Or do you obey? Or you just go ahead, charge through with your plan anyway? I mean, it, everybody reacts differently when God says no. But I'm asking you this morning, how do you react? You know, couples show up at our office here at the east side. They want to get married. In some cases, we've never seen these people before. We have no idea about their background. We have no idea. We just, and they come and they say, Pastor Lathan, we want to get married. And what do you think? And his response will be, well, are you guys living together? Well, yeah. Well, do you attend a church somewhere? Well, no. Well, are you sleeping together? Well, yeah. You know, and so our response to that has to be this. Folks, here's what we ask. Number one, one of you has to move out. Two, you have to start, stop sleeping together. Third, you need to start attending church and go through our membership class. Fourth, you're going to have to come to at least five sessions of premarital counseling before you set your wedding date. And then sixth, we'll marry you. Do that, you got a deal. <laughs> and sometimes we never see those people again. <laughs> why? Well, because they can't take no for an answer. That's why. They can't see past their surging hormones. They refuse to see the path of destruction. They refuse to see the angel standing in the road with the sword. They want us to solemnify their fornication without any accountability. They're like children having a tantrum. If you don't give me what I want, I'm leaving. I, I had a couple one time uh, come to me. They wanted me to marry them. And during our premarital counsel, counseling, I discovered that the guy is smoking marijuana and selling it on the side. And they had both been attending our church. And, and this guy is often speaking to me and telling me that God tells him this or God tells him that. So I'm assuming, well, they most, mo, both must have been believers, but he's selling pot. It's illegal in Wisconsin to sell pot. You can't do that. The penalty is a minimum of a possible three and a half years in prison and $10,000 fine. I'm not kidding. It's the way it is now. I don't know what our future holds in Wisconsin connected to marijuana. We'll see. And I told this couple, I said, I'm sorry, guys, I can't marry you. You got to deal with your marijuana issue first. They were offended. They never came back. They left our church. But they did find another pastor who agreed to marry them. Evidently, this young man had never been told no. And so they looked around until they found somebody who'd say yes. He did not see the angel standing in the middle of the road saying to him, you cannot do this, son. You can't do this. God says no for two reasons. 
He wants no harm to come to us because he loves us. He knows what's best. And second, he has a plan. And if I desire to be a part of the plan, then he's going to show me how to do that by giving me directions on where I fit and where I do not fit. It's his choice because it's his plan. It's very simple. No son, no daughter, I love you and you need to stop right now. No, don't do that. Parents, you've done it hundreds, thousands of times, parents. Huh? No, Johnny. No, Sarah. You can't have that. You can't do that. You can't get up on that. You can't go there. You can't watch that. You can't stay up for that. You can't eat that. You can't play with that. You can't say that. You need to stop that right now. No. Huh? I mean, parents, be honest. Do you get tired of saying no? Yes, you do. Do you get tired of trying to explain to your kids why something is not permitted? Yes, you do. You get tired of that. Do you look forward to the day when Johnny and Sarah will grow up and you don't have to explain yourself anymore? Yes, you look forward to that day because it's stressful giving correction and discipline. It's hard. It goes deeper in you, mom and dad, than it does in your kids because you know what could happen to them if they don't listen. They are unaware. But you know. It goes deep in you. When you say no, you're doing it for a reason. Danger, danger, danger. Bottom line. Saying no is a part of your expression of love to your kids, dads and moms. And it's okay. You can say no. No. Why not? Because I said so. Because I love you. Deal with it. Shut up. (laughs) It's never simple to say no. We know that. But the mother-father instinct in us is so strong when it comes to preserving our kids' welfare. And most of the time, mom and dad, when you are rational... You say no for a reason, and your reasons are usually healthy and rooted in love. Well, the same is true of God. God's like that. He's not out to kill your buzz. He just knows stuff that you don't. He sees stuff up ahead that you can't see. He wants you to be healthy and safe. And most of all, he wants you to be with him forever when you die. Listen to this verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Now, here's God speaking to his people. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Doesn't that blow your mind? God talking to you and me saying, hey, the stuff I want you to do, it's not too difficult. You can do this. Huh? He ends the paragraph by saying to the kids, the children of Israel, now choose life so that you and your children may live. Check it out. What I am commanding you today is not too difficult. You can do this. God was saying to Israel, I think you can do this. I'm not asking you for impossible stuff. So the question for us today is not about the degree of difficulty. It's about whether I have within me the desire, the strength of will 
to say no to myself and yes to God, knowing that God knows and usually I don't. Dads, moms, let me encourage you. I don't know what your background is. I don't know how you were raised, what stuff you've had to deal with. It's okay, dads and moms. You can say no to your kid. Why? Because you are the living example of no. You have to say no to yourself every day. You get up and go to work. You have to hear it from the boss. You got to hear it from your coworkers. You come home and your wife sees you at the door and you better take care of what Johnny just did because you won't believe what he just did in school today. And you don't feel like taking care of Johnny, but you know you got to sit down because you're the dad. And then the kids are tagging on the pants. Come on, daddy, come on. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Play, play, play. Read, read, read. It's like that every day, moms and dads. You know what it is to say no to yourself. That's why you have the authority and the right in your home to say no to your kids. Help them to get acquainted with that word. It's the N consonant followed by the O vowel. No. They need to get used to it. They're going to be told no a million times while they're growing up. They may as well get used to it now. If you struggle, however, parents, with the word no, then we have a problem. And maybe it's time for you to take stock. What happens when you don't get your way? What happens when your temper outbursts are frequent because you're not getting your way? Can you apologize to someone and mean it? Do you shift blame instead of owning your stuff? Husbands, can your wife say no to you? Grown-up dads can handle no if, if you're grown up. And you know how to say no to others when it's necessary. You know, I said earlier that God says no for two reasons. No, I love you, and no, that's not in the plan. There's actually a third no that God says to us. No, you don't have to. You know, God is not impossible to please. He loves you. You are always going to be his son or daughter. You will always be the most delightful thing in the mind of God. Do you know that? He has no imperfections. He is a perfect father. He's not like us earthly dads. He knows when to say no. Oh, but he also knows when to say no. You don't have to do that. You don't have to work harder to please me. You don't have to drive the best car. You don't have to earn the most money or have the most beautiful wife or the trophy kids or the lowest golf score or the biggest house or the most success. You don't have to. Dads, moms, our heavenly father is the best father. If you listen to him and learn his voice and learn what is in his book, if you will bend your ear his way, and allow him to bend your will into conformity to his will, then you will discover that when God says no, it gets much easier to say yes back to him. Amen? There's only one issue in your life where you will never hear God say no. Ask him once, God, do you love me? in spite of my countless failures and sins, 
in spite of my inadequacies and weaknesses, do you love me, God? You know, God will never say no. He may say no to a thousand other things in your life, but he will never say no to that. Get that fixed in your memory and watch how it begins to transform you from the inside out. God says no, sometimes. As I grow up, as I learn to be okay with God saying no to me, it's good. I learn what it is to be an adult and a grown-up child of God. What is God saying to you today as we go into this time of prayer? What is he saying to you? Is he sending you an angel? Is that angel standing in the middle of your road with his sword drawn saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't come this way. Are you listening? Is God saying, don't make me send that donkey? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts. And we understand this morning, Lord God, that you do say no. Because you love us, you know what is not good for us. We understand this morning, God, that you see things ahead of us that we cannot see. And so you say no to protect us and to keep your plan going. Please, oh God, please help us to learn that. And to allow our will to be bent to your will. So that we can become the sons and daughters that you want us to be. And live safely in your kingdom. Lord, help us change our hearts, do a work inside of us today that we understand these things well in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.